this. Today we're talking about from the topic Grace Unleashed. Grace Unleashed. I'm going to be talking for the next several weeks about the grace of God, which um, it's, a, it's a topic that you've got to understand if you're going to understand God because everything that you have is a gift of grace. Amen? Everything that you have is a gift of grace. And the reason why that is is because everything that you have belongs to the king. All right. So we're not dealing with a religion here. We're dealing with a kingdom. And in a kingdom, if you're under a kingdom system, a kingdom system works like this. The king personally owns everything in the kingdom. It is personal property. There is no other government structure that can say that. No other one. All right. That's why every uh, earthly kingdom that has that has ever been has always tried to advance and take over a new territory, a new land. Why? Because the more territory a kingdom possesses, the greater the glory of that king. Amen. So what there's two kingdoms that are present right now on the earth. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The Bible says they are both battling over your mind. They are both battling for that territory, because once you get the people, you have the territory. Amen. So this is what grace is all about. The king personally owns you. He personally owns the ground we're standing on. He personally owns the rocks, the concrete, the wood, and everything that you drive on, the house and whatever it's made out of, your money in your pocket and the trees it was made out of. It all came from the king's property. It all came from that. So therefore, anything that he has given you, he has given it to you freely, and he expects us to know what to do with it. Amen? So coming to church is not just about the fellowship, even though that's great. It's not just about getting a new friend or meeting your future husband, wife, whatever reason you come to church. I know church people. I had a friend who ain't saved. He, he called me one day. He said, is there going to be girls there? I said, well, there are females there, but that's not really the reason to come to church. But whatever, I get, whatever will get you here, come on in. And Hey, do what you got to do, I guess. Anyway, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Um, let's start at Matthew, and we're going to go to chapter 4, verse 17. But before I get into that, um, the reason I brought this up here this morning is because, you know, grace... When you talk about the grace of God, it actually really battles up against American culture and, and worldly culture because um, we are so performance-based and performance-cultured that we almost don't even realize that that's what we're doing. And so I remember um, this drink right here, I remember getting, it's, it's unopened, but I remember pulling it out just for this message out of the, the store. And on the front of it, it says, performance drink, performance drink. And I thought... I thought, what a great example to bring something out like this because we are so performance-based because all of our results seem to come from our performance, right? So if you want a promotion at your job, you got to perform, right? You want to keep your friends, you got to perform. You want to keep your relationships good, perform, right? There is a demand on your life in any relationship, whether it's business, whether it's friendships, whether your children won't even like you if you don't perform. I'm telling the truth. Amen? So, performance is what we are used to. Performance is what we're about. And you know what? I remember a few years back, I was working in a warehouse. And um, it's probably been almost 10 years now or something like that. And uh, I was working in a warehouse. Had to be in there at 6 a.m. And had to work probably a 12, 14-hour shift sometimes, even more sometimes. And I remember just the exhaustion. I don't know if you've ever worked in a warehouse, like unloading trucks, but that is like, if I had a definition of hell, that's pretty close. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard. It's back-breaking hard work. But, um, so we would go in these trucks and unload, and there's no air conditioning. It's just hot, sweating, dirty. And, uh, and I remember just, I, I got to the point where I was going to school at night, and I was trying to balance my life. And I remember just trying to kind of measure up to all of these different people's expectations. You know, I had to go to school and perform. I had to make grades there. And then I had to go to work and perform. And then I was playing football. I was trying to make my way to a professional career there. So I was going afterwards, going to the gym and all that. And, and I remember that just demand on my life. And I was so tired, y'all. Demand will make you tired. And you know what I see when I look out and see people? I know everybody in here is in a different place in life. But when I look out, I see a bunch of people, not you, but just in general, in the world. I see a bunch of people that are so tired. You ever get tired? You lost an hour of sleep today. Well, did you get up this morning tired? Right? Because last night you probably went to bed with a lot of stuff on your mind. You probably went to bed with wondering, you know, tomorrow how am I going to take care of this, this, and this. I really want to go to church. And, and, you know, and it's just a lot of demand. And so I started drinking these energy drinks back then. And I remember just getting to the point where I couldn't even get up and perform without some type of, of edge or some type of caffeine. Some of y'all use coffee. Some of y'all, you, every one of us has something that we get up in the morning that helps us perform. Right? How many of y'all just know we need help to perform? Amen? So that's kind of what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into today. Uh, we are so performance-based that we almost can't understand grace. Because grace works opposite of what we're used to. See, the kingdom culture of grace is this. In the Old Testament, there was, there was a dynamic where the Bible says many times, If you do this, the Lord will bless you. If you bring this offering, the Lord will bless you. If you do this, the Lord will bless you. But then once something happens, Jesus comes 2,000 years later, dies on a cross, and when he spread his arms, what really happened, and he died, when he opened his arms, he really just unleashed grace. And so it wasn't just this little nice thing that we talk about where, you know, just, Lord, just give me grace for this day. Or, or, you know, most people just think of the song Amazing Grace, right? And you just have this idea of this little, like, thing, this little power, this little force that's kind of just helping you out in life. It's the reason you got saved. I know I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, right? And And this is our mindset, but we still believe that to get the blessing from God, that we have to perform to get it. Are you with me? So I'm going to go over these next few weeks. I'm going to go over grace, and I'm going to dig into it several different ways. Today, I'm going to talk about grace, unleashing grace for your mind. Unleashing grace for your mind. Here's the truth. Every person in here is headed somewhere, whether it be accidental or intentional. But you will never arrive at any destination unless you arrive there in your mind first. Right? You were not, you didn't even get to this church this morning unless you sat down and thought your way here. You can't go out the door without a direction and the direction starts in your mind. And so it's very important. And so Jesus, this is what I want to point out because grace, when when grace was unleashed on man, the first thing that Jesus did, the very first public statement Jesus made after he was baptized by John, he comes up out of the water, some other things happen, but his very first Public statement is this right here. Let me see Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. This is about to get good. Matthew 4, 17. Watch this. Now from the time Jesus was baptized, it, 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 all people heard was from John the Baptist was repent for the kingdom of God is here. So here Jesus comes 
And this is what Jesus said. He's echoing John and he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. The word preach means to announce. All right. So let's just remember what this exactly is. From that time, from the time that Jesus received the anointing, because he comes up out of the water and the Bible says that the spirit descends on him. And when the Holy Spirit comes on him from that time forward, there's no records of any miracles that Jesus did before that time. So watch out. Don't you think like the first public statement is probably the most important statement? Because it's like, here I am. It's my coming out party. What what is your public statement, Jesus? If CNN was interviewing Jesus and said, what would you say to the world? And Jesus would say this. I come to announce this. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. What he's saying is, the word repent, let me give you a a, a definition real quick. Because I think most of us think we know what repent is. But let me just, I don't want to assume where anybody is. But let me just give you a quick definition. Repent means to change your mind. Okay? It comes from a Greek word metanoia, which just means to change your mind or change the way you think. Now, if Jesus, this is what, what we think repentance is. We think repentance is, come to God and say you're sorry. I'm going to break grace down. I want you to catch this. Come to God and say, I'm sorry, God. Look, okay, let me just make my confession. This is how when I got saved, I came to God. God, I'm so sorry for everything I've done wrong. And I want you to be my Savior. Okay? From that, that said, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. He unleashes grace. I didn't deserve that. He gave it to me. Even from that day on, this was me. Father, the next day. Father, I still feel like a sinner. I still am going places I shouldn't go, listening to stuff I shouldn't listen to, saying things I shouldn't say, doing things I shouldn't do. Will you save me again? How many of y'all have ever been in a service and hear the preacher say, if you want to be born again, you know, I want you to come down or stand up or whatever they do there. Or if you want to rededicate yourself to the Lord. How many of y'all know that he don't need you to rededicate yourself? He don't need you to, to, in any other way, solidify your salvation. He needs no other motivation to save you than looking at his son on the cross. Of all the things God gave up, he gave up his son. And every time he looks at you, he sees his son. Every time he looks on you, he sees what Jesus did. So in the Old Testament, when we were all performance-based, getting a blessing depended on your offering. Getting a blessing depended on your sacrifice. Getting a blessing depended on if you were clean or not. Depending on your, your rituals, your, your, your activities. It depended on everything like that. And so now Jesus comes, grace is unleashed, and now all the blessing depends on what Jesus did and nothing you do. Amen? Amen. So a person that is sitting under grace, Jesus said, you got to do this. If you're going to experience the kingdom, he said, a kingdom has arrived. If you're going to experience it, the first thing you got to do is change your mind. Because our mode of thinking, like I just said, is performance based. It's still that way. Even for us to say we're not really tied up in a religious flow or whatever, it's still that way. You know how I know? Because everything we do every day is performance based. Try to go to get a raise at your job and not perform. Amen? Try to get somebody to stay your friend or best buddies with you and you're not performing. If you're not a good friend, they'll leave you. Y'all are friends now. But you start acting up. Everybody has a line. You know how I know? Still, 53% of marriages are ending in divorce. The rate is higher for Christians. Because even good old Christians, they have a line. 
But here's the funny thing about Jesus. It's really hard to come to Jesus and under, like quite understand it because Jesus doesn't have a line. He died for you while you were still nasty sinner. While you were still in the club, Jesus was on the cross. While you were still doing what you were doing, he was on the cross. When you did whatever you did yesterday, he was on the cross. Jesus was all in from day one. There's nothing else you need to do to motivate God to cover you with his grace. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyway. That's what grace is. Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching too simple, but grace is the message that we all need to understand. I really thought, you know, I'm going to back up and really try to drive in these first few months of this church. Drive in a few things into these people. I want to drive in that God loves you no matter what. And I want to drive in that grace, the kingdom of God is built on grace. All right? And I wanted to put down like a kingdom dynamic in your mind. Amen? So Jesus' first public statement was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom has arrived. And this kingdom works different from the world. Amen? So you can't experience this kingdom unless you have a new mind. You cannot change a person's behaviors or their outcomes or their destiny unless you can change their thought patterns. Amen? Let me show you this real quick. Because I thought this was a pretty interesting um, research by, I think the, um, it was done by Oxford. And this is what they say. Listen to this. Because many of us, uh, you know, Many of us are aspiring to be, I don't know what you aspire to be, but many of us wish we had a little more money. Amen? A a little better life. Is anybody with me? A little better situation. I mean, every day when we get up, we kind of just want to get things to be a little better than they were yesterday. Am I right? I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I'm good. I'm good. You might wake up and it might be a pretty day or whatever, but you never wake up and not think, man, I know there's got to be more. Does anybody ever feel like that? There's got to be more. Well, watch this. It has everything has to do what you can receive from God. Everything has to do with the way you think. Watch this right here. And I'm just going to read this straight from the article. It says any mental thought often repeated becomes a habit. Habitual thoughts make you who you are. This is a college study. Poor people are poor and rich people are rich because of the way they habitually think. In other words, the paradigm, which is a system of thoughts connected in your mind, is a system built, and you think of everything through the filter of that system. So what Jesus was saying is, I have to change your filter in order for you to experience this kingdom. You can't get it from religion. You can't get it from doing duties. It has to come with a change of mind, not a change of behavior. How many of y'all know you can change your behavior but still be getting the wrong outcomes because your mind has never arrived there? You can sabotage your own success mentally before you ever get there physically. Are you with me? I heard a man say one time, if you're going to arrive anywhere or if you're going to come out of anything, you got to come out head first. When you're born into this world, I think God was giving us a signal. When babies come out, how do they come out? Head first. I think God was saying from birth, (laughs) the women were like, head first. The biggest part first. And that's a preaching all itself. It is the biggest part, and it comes out first. Why? Because you cannot arrive anywhere unless you come to that point in your mind first. Watch this study. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it really parallels that verse right there. You should write that one down. So this is why poor and rich people are rich because of the way they habitually think. Their habitual thinking comes first, and their habitual activities follow. So the way you think all the time is the way you behave all the time. Have you ever been in a situation or a relationship or something like that and you mess it up again and then you go, 
man, there I go again. Or you get fired from another job and you go, that's my fault. I know the last boss told me I shouldn't be popping off every time they tell me to do something, but there I go again. And just everywhere you go, there you are doing your same thing, right? And you go, and then eventually you get to the place in life where you go, that's just who I am. And you just kind of give up on upgrading. You just kind of give up on moving forward. Why? Because you just feel like, well, this is who I am. But let me tell you something. When I came to God, I even spoke differently. This is what's funny. If you watch tapes of me 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, even my dialect was different. Because what happened was, is I submitted myself into places where the environment was different and it washed over me and it changed even who I was because I knew that if I was going to think on a different level, I had to get in a room that thought on a different level. So check this out. I'm trying not to preach every part of this, but it's so good. If you habitually think a certain way, you will habitually act in a certain way. Greatness, listen to this, requires great thoughts. Are your thoughts great? Jesus concurs. He says, repent, get great thoughts. And become, and then it says, to become rich, you have to learn how to think like a rich person. Woo, I just got to leave that alone. To avoid poverty, you have to understand how to think. Here's what I know about thinking. It's not knowledge. Because the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. See, a lot of people know the Bible, and all that does for them is make them a little proud. You know, I'll stand here, and I'll be searching for a verse, and I'll paraphrase it, and you'll be in your seat going, that's Matthew 4, 17. I know that. See, he didn't even know that verse. I knew it. See, what kind of pastor is this? You puffed up in your chair, so proud that you knew the verse. You know what? Your friends be talking about the Bible, and you be like, well, this is what the Bible really says, and it's in this verse right here. And I was studying last night in my other Bible study that I go to, and we spent two hours doing And you get all this information, and it just makes you a little prouder. It doesn't necessarily take you anywhere. Am I preaching? It doesn't necessarily get you closer to where you're going, because knowledge puffs up. Listen. Jesus, when he came into, into um, when he was born into the world, who knew the Bible more than anybody else in that time? The Pharisees, right? The Sadducees, the scribes. These are ones who wrote, studied, and, and, and committed their life to knowing the word, right? And who was the people that put Jesus on the cross? The ones that knew the most. They knew the most. So they thought... In my intellect, in my religious knowing, I know that this is not the Messiah. But see, their mind was puffed up, but their heart was far from God. Jesus said, you praise me with your mouth, but your heart is nowhere near me. Amen? So, knowledge will puff you up, and this is what he said. To get rich, and we're just not just talking about money, so just think fullness of life, riches and abundance, okay? To get rich in life, you have to think like a rich person. I'm getting ready to connect these dots with another scripture, so just follow me right here. I want to give you a few of these. This is an awesome list, and just listen to this. This is the difference in their study of how rich and poor people think. And I want you to put yourself into these thoughts and see, is this you? Is this the way you think? 87% of poor people think you must be intellectually gifted in order to become wealthy. That's a large thing. Listen to the percentages, okay? This is poor people's thoughts. 90% of poor people think fate determines your wealth or poverty in life. Well, I can't help it. I was just born. You know, these are the hand, the hand I was dealt. My family was poor. Their family was poor. Well, this is just how it is. 90% think that way. 13% of poor people think or thought 
that they would or would be successful in life, that they will or would be. So we all had dreams as a kid. I'm going to be rich. Whatever you're not when you're a kid, you think you're going to have a lot more of that later. Like if you're poor, dirt poor, I'm going to be rich. And when I get rich, I ain't bothering with none of y'all because y'all treat me like this now. And I can't wait to tell my boss I quit. I'm going to hit the lottery. And I can't wait to do it. And so you think that this is what's going to happen. And you still think that you're going to be successful. You still think that. Amen. Only 13% of poor people think this way. 11% of poor, uh, the poor think creativity is critical to financial success. 11%. Low, low percentage. Listen to that. 80% of the poor think genetics are critical to success. Look at, I want you to see this pattern. Basically, it's like the highest majority of poor people think it's somebody else's fault or somebody else's responsibility. Just pass, my dad used to say, passing the buck. I don't even really know what that means, but I really don't know what that means, but y'all know what I'm saying. 18% of the poor think that they, that they are the cause of their financial condition. 77% of the poor think lying is a prerequisite for accumulating wealth. All those rich people, they lying. They're lying anyway. 2%, listen to this. This is because we're talking about the mind and grace. 2% of poor people, 2% meditate daily. That's almost none. And let me tell you what poor people do, because I used to be one. We grew up poor. Listen, poor people... Try to work hard. And they work hard. And you know what? They sometimes work two and three jobs to keep it going. Jesus said, there is a kingdom to gain, but in order to enter it, it comes through your thoughts. Are you following me? 2% of poor people in this study meditate daily. You know what they do? They play video games. They hang out doing other things. 2%. They spend all their time, I don't even own a video game, not because I don't like them, because I wish I had one sometimes when I get bored. But the fact is this, I know friends and have had friends that spend more time playing Madden than they do trying to find a job, or than they do studying the Word, or than they do meditating on anything. They meditate on Madden. Y'all know what Madden is? Football game. All right. The guys know. The ladies know who are married because they get tired of watching that. 90% of the poor think rich people are rich because their parents were rich and they inherited the money. Well, if I had rich parents, then I'll be rich too. 90%. 22% of poor people think optimism is important to success. 5% of poor people think rich people are good, hardworking, and honest. 5% think the rich people are good people. So 95% think them stinking rich people, them, that's just them. Look at them in that nice BMW, that nice Mercedes. Look at them in that nice house. They don't got no problems. Trust me, I've been around every kind, and and you know what? They all got the same problems. Some of them just live in a fancier prison. That's it. That's the only difference. Got a big house, but still bound. Got a nice car, but tormented, driving down the street. Got Got the family and the kids, and they smile when it's picture time. But I'm telling you, deep down inside, there's still issues there. Amen? Last one, 52% of poor people believe that wealth is accidental, a function of random luck, the lottery. Just my luck in life. I don't ever catch a break. I'm going somewhere. Remember, we're talking about how Jesus unleashed grace. Watch this. Now, rich people, I'm going to move through these quick. Now, here's the opposite. Watch how rich people think. 10% of the rich think you must be intellectually gifted in order to become wealthy. Only 10%. So, in other words, 
90% think it has nothing to do with intellect. 10% of rich people think fate determines your wealth. 43% of the rich people think or thought they would be successful in life. 43% of the ones who are rich predetermined that they would be rich later in life. They thought that they would be. 75% of rich people think creativity is critical. 11% of poor thinks creativity is critical. So if you would ask some of the people that invented Facebook or, or um, what's the other guy's name, the Apple guy, Jobs, if you ask some of these people the same question, they would say, don't go get an education, get creative. Because knowledge will make you puffed up. Knowledge will make you perform. The more you know, the more you feel like you got to do. The more you know, the more you feel like you have to perform what you know. See, this is what I, this is what I like. When, when Adam and Eve fell in, in the garden, this is exactly the, the tactic that the enemy used. He used what they knew. The more you know, the more you're going to have to defend what you know. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Because the more you know, the more you have to defend what you know. Because So God says, don't eat of this tree, right? And then what's the devil come back and say? He says, did he say you can't eat of that tree? Why? Because if you eat of it, you're going to know something that he knows. And then she goes, mm, you know what? Maybe if I knew a little more, that I could get a little more. Or that I could be something that I'm not. The problem is that God created her just like him. And there was nothing that he wouldn't already give them for free based on their relationship with him. Because before, before the kingdom left the earth, man had this relationship with God. And it was not based on their performance. It was based on their status. It was based on their sonship. It was based on who they were to God. It was based on position, not knowledge. So the more you know, the more you torment yourself. And nothing wrong with knowledge as long as you don't lean on it. You can't lean on what you know. Because sometimes, you know, I don't know how certain things work. You don't know how your car works, but you use it, don't you? You get in there and turn that key. I don't know what happens when I use it, but I, it, I turn it on, it drives. That's all I know. Amen? That's all you need to know. My wife sometimes will call me, the car making a funny noise, honey, and I'll listen to it and I'll say, well, I know what that is. There's nothing wrong. Just keep driving. But she, she's freaking out because she don't know. Right. So we don't always know how things work. I don't know how the sun, the moon, the stars go around the earth. I don't know how God does what he does. I don't have to know, though. I can receive just because I believe it. I don't need to know it. Some of us are worried about God. How are you going to pay this bill? God, how are you going to pull me out of this situation? You don't need to know how God is the how. And see what grace really is. Grace is God's how on your behalf without you having to know. I'm preaching. You don't have to know how. You just have to know he is. Amen? Amen. Some people take the Bible and they get in here and they try to look up the ABCs of how to get rich. You know, if you do this, if you do this, listen, there are principles to follow, good things to do. But at the end of the day, you know why God blesses me and is going to bless you? Because Jesus got on the cross and every time he looks upon me and said, is it time to bless him again? He looks at Jesus and he says, you know what? It's still time. It's still there. I can still do it because he's my son. I'm well pleased with him. And all I see when I see you is him. How many of y'all need something to come to you right now? And you say, I am in need, Pastor Mike. How many of y'all? Because listen, I want you to know something. When we're talking about grace today, grace is God's help on Jesus' bank account. You understand what I'm saying? See, you spend a little bigger and a little bolder if I sent you into a store with an unlimited credit card that wasn't yours. And I just said, go get what you need. So Jesus is your unlimited credit card to come to God and, and you are pre-approved to use it. Listen, God just says, here, here's my account. Use my account. 
Amen? Am I talking to somebody? Let me finish this. Listen to this. 17% of rich people meditate daily. Of all the rich people that I have ever met, one of the greatest things, or one of the, I would say, key things that I always hear them ask me, or, or I ask them is, they always say, what are you reading? This is what rich people talk about. Rich people don't even talk about money, by the way. I was at, I was at a convention one time, and uh, I was representing the, ch- the former church that I was at, and, uh, and I was in the room, and everybody in this room was rich. This was a who's who of the city, right? I mean, there was the, the, um, the college, uh, what are they called, the guy at the top? The presidents, yeah, that guy, the dean, the presidents, all these guys of different colleges, businesses, and stuff. And they were coming together to try to figure out how to reach the inner city children. This is what they were coming together for. Now, out of all the ideas, this is basically a brainstorming meeting. Out of all the things they talked about, they never said, listen to this, never said how much does that cost. Never. And I'm talking about, they were talking about, well, what if we put up a whole wall of a touch screen this, and the kids could come in and just touch it, and it pops out, and this thing activates, and this thing, and it teaches them like this, and not one, and I was sitting there thinking, boy, that's a lot, it's going to cost a lot of money. I'm thinking, technology, I mean, technology costs money. And not one time, rich people don't think about how much it costs. Because rich people understand this one thing, and I want you to catch this. Listen, provision follows vision. You want something to come to your life? Why would God put something in your hand if you have no vision? Why would God pour out a million dollar vision into a 50 cent container? You've got to be able to receive on this level or you can never get what God is going to bring to you. It's all Entering the kingdom is all about the process of your thoughts. Because everything that Jesus did is finished and done. Christianity does not start with do this, do this, do this, and I'll bless you. It starts with this. Jesus has done this. Now think on the level of what is done, and you can enter in on that level. Listen, everything you're going to receive from God is his blessing of inheritance. Because God doesn't want it to be attached in your performance anymore. And it's based on who's your daddy. It's not based on what you've done or what you haven't done. It's based on who is your daddy. Who is your father. And what, what he has, you have. What Jesus is an heir to, you are an heir to. But the Bible says that all of your stuff, your inheritance is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time. In other words, there is a certain level of maturity you have to reach before God will release that next thing. So everything you're asking God for right now is already yours. It's done. It's finished. But it's under guardians. Are you with me? Whew. Still talking about grace. Y'all going to say, how is he talking about grace? This is grace. All this is grace. Amen? 54% of rich people think optimism is important to success. That's over half. 78% of rich people think that rich people are good, hardworking, and honest. 78%. Because they know. To grab something in life, it's not just a bunch of sitting around and doing, you know, doing nothing. Most of it is... I heard one guy say genius is like 99% perspiration and 1% something else, right? There's a saying, but y'all know what I mean. 99% work, right? I mean, and that's pretty, pretty much what it comes down to. Let me finish with this right here. If you want to become wealthy, let's say it like this. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to stop thinking like a poor person. And start thinking like a rich person. So when Jesus unleashed grace, the first area, his first public statement, the most important thing you can know today is this. Matthew, throw that verse up for me again. Matthew 4. The first thing to enter in the kingdom is not 
what do you do with your life? Not modify your behavior. I won't ever get you, get you to modify your behavior if I can't get you to get your thoughts out of the ditch. If you can't think on the level of God's gift, of God's grace, you will never leave this point in life and get to the next place. Because every time you'll take a step forward without God, life will snatch you back. Every time you take a step up the ladder of success, the devil will come and pull the carpet right out from under you. You will not be able to sustain it. Amen. So from that time on, Jesus preached and said, change your mind because there's a kingdom here. Amen. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says this. You have to have a new mind. Did I give you that one? If I did, throw it up for me, sir. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. I'm not sure if I did, but if I did, let me, just, let me just paraphrase it for you while he finds it. Amen. You have to have a new mind to think like your anointing. Thinking on the level of the ability of the grace that God has given you. Some of y'all have abilities way down in you that you don't even know this there. And God's grace has given you this ability, but your mind won't let it come out. Your mind won't let it come out. Here's a perfect example. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Did you find it? Let me just throw this up for you. If you then were raised with Christ, in other words, when Jesus died, the Bible says that he raised you up, seated you with him in heavenly places. That's not something that is going to be done. That's something that is already done. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Now, it says, now seek those things which are above. What are you seeking? Are you chasing bigger dollars? What are you trying to find to fulfill your life? You need a marriage, and maybe then I'll be at peace. You need, I'm telling you, if you're looking for anything else, when you get it, you're going to realize, oh, that wasn't it. That's all you're going to realize. That's all you're going to realize. Amen. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Christ means the anointing or the anointed one. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. I used to think it was. Jesus Christ is Jesus the anointed one, okay? Christ is the word anointing. Sitting at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. In other words, he says, let me, let me give you a quick definition. When the Bible says don't walk in your flesh, that doesn't mean don't walk around and be angry. That's what most Christians think that means. Oh, I just got in my flesh a little bit, so I snapped. You know what I mean? Forgive me, Pastor Mike, I was in my flesh a little bit this morning. What the flesh really means is it means human behavior or human limited power. It means depending on yourself. And God says, don't ever put your mind dependent on what you can do yourself. He says, set your mind on what I can do for you, not what you can do yourself. Listen, it's very important that you think on the level of your anointing. It's very important that you think like Jesus, or you will never become like Jesus. And that's what God's goal is. His goal is to make you like him. Every person God made is a masterpiece. We just got to think like it. Are you with me? Amen. I got so much here. Let me find out where I'm going. All right. So grace, I'm going to just jump into grace. I don't know where I'm going to finish, but wherever I stop, we'll pick up next week. Amen. So I want you to challenge yourself. Listen, don't, if you can help it, try not to miss any of these messages because once you get the foundation of grace in your life, 
your, your mind will open up. You'll have new potential because now you'll be thinking on a different level. And you will boldly step out and try to do things based on what God has and working in you and not what you have. I have, there's a scripture that I love. It's Ephesians 3.20 and I've quoted it in here many times. But it basically just says this. It says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask. And I like the Amplified Version. It says, or dare to pray for or dare, dare God and ask for something that only your mind could think of. And he says, God's power is so bold and big in you that he can do more than that. But we don't ever think of that. Our prayers sound like this. Lord, just be with me today. And God's like, be with you today. I'm here. That's not hard. Be with you. Lord, if you just bless me. you blessed, man. you blessed. He says, I dare you to ask me for something. It's hard to think because we don't know if we've performed enough to get in God's courts and say something like that. God, I know I haven't been going to church. Today is my first day. And God said, I dare you on your first day to ask me for something. I dare you the day you repent and say that I'm your Lord. I dare you to come into my courts and ask me for something. Because you have to think and to enter this kingdom. You have to think as if God is full of grace. And that has he unleashed grace on you. And because of this grace you can come to him boldly. And you can ask anything in your time of need. Grace is your help in the time of need. Amen. Sometimes when I got ready to plant this church, it took thousands of dollars and tons of time to put it together. And then listen, when I got ready to plant, we didn't have all the money. And so what I had to do, this is what, this is what I did. I took Ephesians 3.20, I wrote it at the top of a list, and then under that I wrote my list. And I still do this to this day, so maybe you should try this. And I call it my dare prayer list. And every day I get up and I look at that list and I say, God, I dare you to fill that building twice a week. God, I dare you. No, not just bring a couple of new people. No, God, I dare you to, to fill it two times. God, I dare you to give us a worldwide impact. And I'm not asking God for little stuff. God, I dare you to make all of our budgets nothing. Where we're not even thinking about that. All budgets are exceeded above and beyond and more than we need, God, so that we can give. And Listen, I'm daring God to do things. And when we got ready to start this church, we didn't have everything. In the nick of time, I had people calling me, mailing me, contacting me, saying, here's what you got to have. I I'll give it to you. I don't know if you get excited about that, but when you are at the end of yourself and you know, listen, God, there's nothing I can do to make this happen. That's when God kicks in. He's waiting on you to get to the end of yourself. If you wonder what he's waiting on, because this is what you do. You go to God like this. God, I'm trying so hard. God, I'm going to church. God, I pray every day. I can't understand why that sinner just got his new car. And you know what? God said, I gave him a new car because there's one thing he does know. I'm his Lord. He may not know Christianese, but he knows I'm his Lord. And I blessed him because I'm his Lord, not because he's got it all together. I blessed him not because he's doing it right. I blessed him because he's mine. Don't you just hate it when you see somebody you don't like get blessed? Knowing they didn't go to church this morning. And you did. And you even helped. And you were serving and everything. And you're still waiting on your stuff. And you're probably waiting on your stuff because in your mind you're serving outwardly. But in your mind you're, you're waiting on God to pay you back. And God said, I'm not here to pay you back. Because, listen, what I'm doing for you is grace. It has nothing to do... As a matter of fact, the strength that you had to push yourself off the bed this morning was an example of my grace. You opened your eyes all right this morning. That's an example of my grace. I could have let the devil take you out. I could have let that disease come on you. I could have let that thing that happened to that other person happen to you. But I covered you. I protected you. That's grace. But you're not thinking through the filter of grace. You're not thinking through the filter of 
the of grace or the goodness of God. We are thinking that if I perform a little better, God, this is what God, tomorrow when I get up, just help me perform a little better. We asking God, God, help us be my energy drink, Lord. Just wake me up, Lord. Give me the energy and the strength to go out and do this thing. And I'm not saying, you know, praying for strength is not good. Pray for strength. But here's what I'm telling you. You got to see it. When, when am I going to receive it, Pastor Mike? When you stop thinking it's because of something you did. Everything you're going to get is because of what somebody else did. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. Some people want credit for what they're doing. Church people sometimes want credit for going to church. You had your job bragging about it. I went to church this morning. It was good too. You should come. And really you're just trying to let everybody know you go to church. I'm talking the truth, ain't I? Alright, so let me, let me jump into the last. Let me just land this plane because I've been talking for a minute now. I'm going to land right here and then next week we're going to pick up from right here. Give me Romans 2 verse 4. So y'all see where I'm going with this. Grace has to change your mind. Anytime God had to change somebody's mind, they had to experience grace. So you can't just change your mind by reading more books. You have to experience grace. And this changes your mind. Watch this. This is my proof. Romans 2 verse 4. Let me get out of the way so you can see. It says this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness... God's goodness is not just good, it's richly good. His forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing. See, it's all about what we know. Listen, he said, you don't know that the goodness, all the stuff you know, you don't know this. The goodness of God is what leads people to change their mind. How many of y'all got friends that you know need the Lord? And you tell them, you preach to them, every, you, know, you come home from church and you say, let me tell you what happened to church today. And you, get, and you put that pressure on them. You put that full court press on them. Amen. And you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on you to just extend grace. Because you can't change their behaviors. They may be caught up in stuff and it hurts you to watch them go through it. And I've tried that. I've tried to go to them and say, you know, you just really need to turn from that. God can heal you from that. And, and you know what? The results of pe- just saying God can fix that, they're just ve- the results are just very slim. It just don't turn them like grace can. Amen? Because it says this, the goodness of the Lord is what makes a person change his mind. You know what? I have an atheist friend. Um, I guess we would call him a friend. Uh, an atheist friend, a uh, person I know, he said this to me. He said, you know what? Because we was telling him, me and my wife were actually, we was telling him about God's grace one day. And he said, if that's true, he said, I think I could love a God like that. But I've never heard anybody tell me what you just told me. How many times have you ever had somebody witness to you and instead of telling you what you got to change, your behavior, what you're doing in life, how you're getting around, what you're doing, like how many times have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, do you know that God will take you just like that? He'll bless you. you get as much blessing as I'm getting. God's blessing me like crazy. He'll bless you. And you know what? The things that you're doing in life, you will slowly let those things go when the mind changes. Because I, I try to police people's you know, activities, and it just does not work. It drives them farther away from God. Right? So and when you extend grace, when you unleash grace in a person... Something happens, something changes because it's a supernatural power that when you let go and release 
God's goodness over their life. Listen, you want your boss to shift? Bless them. You want your relatives to shift? Bless them. You think they got a messed up lifestyle or something they're doing wrong? Bless them. Love them. Accept them. Embrace them. Let the Holy Spirit change their mind. And then one day you'll catch up with them and you say, you know what? You're not doing that anymore. What happened? You say, you know what? I don't know. I just kind of thought, this is silly. Why am I doing this? Your mind has to change or your activities never will. The way you habitually think is, the way, is where you're going to end up in life. Am I telling the truth? So, Romans 2, 4, it says, The goodness of God leads you to repent. And this is my last scripture. Let me give you one more, and I'm going to land right here on this thought. Give me Romans 12, verse 2. This is where I'm going to finish. Romans 12, verse 2. Watch this. It says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. He says this. If you're going to be transformed... You have to have a different mind. If you're ready to go to a new level, you got to change your mind. When I come in here and I'm saying, give God a praise, some of y'all be like, I don't understand that. It's because you don't have the mind that I have about praise. Because there's something that I understand about it that you don't understand. When a preacher gets up and says, it's time for the offering, some people go, guard the wallet. You know why? Because you don't understand the grace of God. As a matter of fact, when I do get to the series on finances, you're going to see the Bible says that God has given you all grace and made it abound on your behalf so that you have everything you need, then you can give. Because it's, a, it's about understanding God's goodness on your life that will change the way you think about it. Sometimes I can't just logically explain it. All I can do is say, if you experience God's goodness, His undeserving favor, His unmerited favor, when you experience God do something for you, you know you didn't have no business getting, then your mind changes about, man, I did not know God was like that. I didn't know He wanted this for me. And you know what? We're not going to tell you how to live. We're going to tell you change your mind and you will enter the kingdom and that will change you. Amen? So he says, be transformed. How do you be transformed? First of all, it does take some time. So if you're here, today's your first day. We're not expecting you to walk holy and all, you know, cleaned up yet. But we are saying this. God, if you take in what we're saying and let your mind accept it, you are going to be effortlessly, without me coming behind you and checking your, you know, records and check, watching you and policing you and staying on top of you, your mind will be changed. And then, and then, this word right here, prove. That you may prove what is the good and accept the will of God. That word prove is actually the word allow. If you, wanna, if you want God to prove himself or allow God's goodness to flow, you have to change your mind. That seems a little too easy, doesn't it? You So you mean, Pastor Mike, I don't have to go get another degree? Not unless you're going to be something that requires that degree. But you can still be blessed, living in God's goodness, prosperity. You can still do all of those things just from the simple fact that God's grace has been unleashed on your life. You want to talk about going to another level? God's grace be unleashed unto your life. Just say, look, this is what you need to do. You need to get up every day and say, God, I thank you that because of what Jesus did, I can expect good things today.